Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are new, my name is Joel. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and I'm so glad that you're with us. We're going to be continuing our summer series that we've been doing on the parables. Now, the parables are stories that Jesus told that had usually an earthly meeting. You would talk about some commonplace different ideas and representations that would represent a heavenly message or a spiritual message for us. And so today we're going to be continuing that series. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 18. As a reminder, senior highs, Pastor John is at the back and you guys are free to go join him. I won't take this as a protest or a walkout. Feel free to go ahead now uh, as you guys are going to be having your own lesson upstairs with him today. Um, so before we jump in, we're going to be looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant this morning. Now, some of you know, growing up, I had multiple siblings. I am the third of four children. So I had two older sisters. I knew what it was to be a younger brother. But I also had one brother who was younger, two years younger than me. So I also knew what it was to be an older sibling. How many of you here this morning are older siblings? You've got, yeah, okay. So here's, here's a little tidbit for those of you who aren't. Uh, and older siblings, you can nod your head if you agree with this. Uh, an experience that I had as an older sibling is that my brother was two years younger than me, which meant my brother would annoy me to no end. He was just close enough that it was that prime annoying age. So whether it was hitting me, punching me, doing things, or saying things to annoy me, and I, I don't claim to be the most patient person, but even if I was doing good that day and I ignored it for a few minutes, eventually... I would turn around and I'd slug him or I'd go after him. And then, of course, my parents would step in. And what would my mom say to me? You're older. I expect more of you. Have any, anybody, any of you older siblings, did you hear something along those lines? Isn't that the worst? Like, why? Because I'm two years older as if I'm supposed to be immune from anything going on. But it does bring this question of how do we deal with offense? How do we do when people not just annoy us, but offend us or hurt us? How do you respond to it? As a child of the 80s and 90s, through the 90s, I like to watch the show Seinfeld. If any of you remember that show, there was an episode, it was my favorite episode, uh, where one of the main characters, his dad invented his own holiday as a, as a substitute for Christmas because he got, he got uh, frustrated with Christmas and he invented a uh, holiday he called Festivus, a Festivus for the rest of us. And the main theme of this was really, it was just depressing. But kind of it, it, the epitome of it is that the, around the dinner table in the evening, the father would then go around to everybody at the dinner table and tell them everything they had done over the past year to disappoint him and how he was frustrated or upset at them. Now, that's obviously not, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, not the way we should deal with stuff. Yet, when we look at the world around us, offense is not far to be found. If you aren't offended with something... Give me five minutes and I'll find someone who can tell you why you should be offended with someone. It surrounds all of us. Yet on the same hand, the Bible speaks much to the issue of unforgiveness. It talks about how unforgiveness itself brings destruction not to the other person but to you. In Proverbs, it even says that it actually brings rotting to your own bones. Even secular society has caught on to the reality of both the power of unforgiveness and the power of forgiveness. Articles that I've read recently out of the Harvard School of Medicine speak about the benefits both psychologically, uh, leading to lower levels of depression, anxiety, but also because of that, the benefits that forgiveness brings even physically to your physical health. 
Yet even with that, forgiving people is not easy. Sure, there are some things that are easier than others. I find it difficult sometimes for the person who eats the last piece of pizza in the fridge and doesn't say anything because it was mine. But I can learn to let that go a lot easier than some of the hurts that some of you have experienced. Some of you have experienced pain in your childhood. You've known what it is to face abuse. Some of you have been deeply wounded and wronged by others. How do we forgive? How do you respond to the hurt and mistreatment in your life? Have you experienced the negative impacts of forgiveness, which operates like a poison or a cancer within you? destroying your relationships, destroying your life, leading to depression, mental health issues, spiritual health issues? Who in your life do you find it most difficult to forgive? Today's parable, the story that Jesus tells, is going to speak on this topic of forgiveness. So let's jump into it together, starting in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 21 to 35 this morning. Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? I had a, an incident last week that my wife gently kind of pointed out without even realizing she was to me. Um, how many of you know when you come south from the city to, to Beaumont, right when you're coming past the Walmart where you go from two lanes on that last light before the corner store and it moves to one lane. And there's always, it's always a red light when you're driving up, right? And there's a pile of like 20 cars. I don't like sitting in that line of 20 cars. And if you time it right and you can tell that the light's going to be changing soon, you just keep going and you just yeah, time it just perfect. You go slow. So you wait for that green and then you just punch it and just move in front. Jason's done it. Okay. I did that the other week, and I see no problem with that. Yet, a couple days later, I was uh, driving on the Henday, going north, uh, where the road construction is on the west side of the city. And there's like two kilometers of traffic. And you get that person who has veered all past those two kilometers while you've been sitting there 15 minutes and then wants to merge in. I didn't take to that kindly. I did the old bumper hug and just going a little, nope, there's no room here. And you don't make eye contact. It's just like, I don't see you even though you're almost hitting my car. See, it's funny how we tend to look at things differently depending on where we are, the offender or the one offended. And it's interesting, Peter's question here, it's not, Jesus, how many times will you forgive me for how many mistakes I've made, how many times I've wronged others, but it's, how many times do I have to forgive? At what point do I get to turn around and slug someone? At what point do I get to have my revenge? And I'm sure Peter actually thought that he was being very gracious because he said seven times. Can I forgive the same offense seven times? See, the Jewish practice of the day, uh, which is actually referenced from a portion in the book of Job, is that they would forgive three times. That was kind of the, the, the teaching, the religious teaching of the, of the Jewish elites. You should give the, forgive the same offense three times. That was showing great restraint. And here Peter must think he's being super gracious. I'm going to more than double that seven times. Yet Jesus responds in verse 22, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Mathematicians, what's our number? Ooh, 
apparently no, 490, thank you. So is Jesus saying we need to forgive 490 times? As if we walk around with this book in 467, oh, I'm so close. 488, okay, I forgive you. 489, this is the last time. 490, bam, no. It's obviously, he's, he's speaking, uh, speaking this symbolically. The number seven was a number in the Jewish tradition that represented completeness or wholeness. And the number 70 was the number of perfection. Jesus is essentially saying by stating these two numbers, you need to forgive infinity times. Never ending. Because what Jesus is trying to get at here to Peter and is trying to teach us is that forgiveness is not a numbers issue. It's a heart issue. It's an obedience issue. Now, before we go any further, we need to differentiate here because some of us have an issue with the word forgiveness because we correlate forgiveness with forgetting. As if if we forgive someone or something, we need to forget as if the offense ever happened, and that is not true at all. That's not forgiveness. In fact, we need to differentiate between three terms really quickly. That is forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation because those are three different terms. Trust is something that is earned that the other person does to earn from you. Reconciliation is a bilateral agreement requiring two parties to come together. Whereas forgiveness, on the other hand, is unilaterally given. It is completely dependent only upon the offended party to offer it. Forgiveness is a choice to release the other person from your debt. Corey Ten Boone once said, Forgiveness is the key which unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of bitterness. Bitterness that, as Proverbs says, rots our bones. Biblical forgiveness is letting go of resentment. It's letting go of the right for me to make things right on my own, but instead releasing and trusting God with them and that situation to be the ultimate judge and to make things right. So here we go forward, and Jesus tells this parable, this story, to help teach us about God's forgiveness and forgiveness in God's kingdom. So let's continue on in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. A little cheat code, if there's a parable, a story that Jesus told, and there's a king in it, it's always God. You can just make that assumption. Okay, So the king is God, a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought and who owed him, it says in, in the New Living Translation, millions of dollars. Or if you read diff- some different translations, it might say 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. As Pastor Marlowe referenced the other week, a, a talent was actually a measurement of precious metals. So hence 10,000 bags of gold. But this man couldn't repay it, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay his debt. He was sold into slavery. Again, at this time, slavery had nothing to do with race, like many of us tend to think of it. It was solely to do as a regular practice that when you came into debt and you had a debt you could not pay, that you you could sell yourself into slavery to repay your debt. Is a common practice of the time. But the man fell down before his master and begged, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity or mercy for him, and he released him and forgave him his debt. So again, I think we need to understand the, the depths of the debt that this man is talking about. A talent was worth about 6,000 denarii, which would be the equivalent of about 20 years of wages for the average laborer. 
The average tax bill for the entire land of Palestine was about 800 talents. This man owed 10,000 talents, or the equivalent of he owned 200,000 years of labor. And he responds by saying, if you have mercy, I'll repay it. This was a debt this man could never realistically ever pay back. The release of the servant in the story had nothing to do with the promise of the servant saying, I'll pay it back. Because the master knew there was no way in his entire lifetime he could come even close to trying to do that. Rather, the forgiveness that was shown was done completely on the compassion of the master himself. This, of course, is symbolic for us in our lives, in our relationship with God. That the forgiveness of our sin has nothing to do with what we can somehow think we can offer God. Well, I'll promise I'll do all these things for you. God is not interested in your paybacks because your paybacks will never actually amount to the debt that you owe him. Your forgiveness is done completely upon the grace and compassion of God. We go on in our story. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, or about the equivalent of about four months' wages. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for just a little more time. Be patient with me and I will repay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So hearing the part of this story here that we've come to, do you not think that there's something wrong with this man? Something wrong with his heart, with his mind? That's the very point of the story. That's what Jesus is getting at. And so when some of the other servants from the king saw this, verse 31, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt, the debt that you would never would have been able to repay because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entirety of his debt. In the process of this short story, we have seen this individual, this man who was owing, go from being a debtor to being a creditor, and finally now to being a prisoner. The man was set free from his debt simply because of the mercy and grace of the king, but he was put in prison as a result of his own selfish actions and decisions. In this story, Jesus is teaching the lesson that in this life, we are either those who are forgiving or those who are unforgiving. And we will experience the consequences of that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, another portion of Jesus' teaching earlier in his life where he said this, For in the same way you judge others, you yourself will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. One of the misnomers is this idea that we tend to teach ourselves when we feel hurt, when we feel offended, when we've been wronged, and we hold on to unforgiveness, is that our unforgiveness and our anger will somehow hurt the other person. But rather, it's the opposite. Unforgiveness rarely ever actually affects the other person. It usually only affects ourselves. As one person famously said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. 
It keeps us chained to the past. Issues like anger, low self-worth, detachment issues, depression, are all symptoms of unforgiveness. These toxic traits often lead us to destructive and addictive behaviors. How many of you at this point in the story feel for the man who's just gotten thrown into prison? How many of you feel sorry for him? How many of you feel he's the hero of this story? How many of you feel like he's getting what he deserved? He had been given mercy, but he had not allowed that mercy to change his own heart. That brings us to the verse that really challenged Jesus' listeners. Verse 35, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Church, if the forgiveness of the king does not change your heart and does not move you to become a forgiving person, there is something wrong. There is a disconnect between your head and your heart. If you sit in church and you hear the teachings of Jesus and you have said, I want to accept that, but the grace in which he is extended to you and the forgiveness in which he is extended to you has not changed your heart, but has only intellectually entered your head. Something is off and wrong. The truths we may know have not entered your heart and you have not truly experienced the transformative power of forgiveness. See, for a follower of Jesus, forgiveness isn't just a gift. It's an obligation. Like the king in the story, God does hold us to account. His holiness, his perfection demands that he keeps account of everything that is unholy. That is not perfect. Matthew 12.36 teaches us that God knows every word you've ever spoken. And Matthew 1.39 too, along with many other verses, speaks to how God knows every thought that you've ever had. So just take five seconds to allow the bewilderment and the shame that comes with that. That God knows every word you've spoken, every action you've made, and every thought you've ever had. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we are more holy than we are. we need to realize the great debt we have been forgiven. Like the king, we are also to forgive the debts that others owe us. So the story brings us to a question that maybe comes to your mind, and it definitely comes to mine. How then do I forgive? Because again, Some of us, it's not someone took our pizza out of the fridge. Some of us have deep and painful wounds that have continued with us for years and decades. How do we forgive? I believe that in this story, Jesus actually teaches three levels of forgiveness. The first is this. We need to first receive forgiveness. Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace, God's great free gift. It's by grace you have been saved through your faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by your works, not by what you've done or tried to repay, so that there is not one person 
in this building, there is not one person on this earth who can boast. It is solely a gift of God. Now with that, like any gift, you have to first choose to receive a gift. You do nothing to earn it, you do nothing to pay for it, but you still need to choose to receive it. So the first thing is we receive forgiveness. Secondly, we need to experience forgiveness. Again, to those last words of Jesus at the end of this story in verse 35, where he says, that's what my heavenly father will do for you, to you, sorry, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters, but it doesn't stop there, from your heart. We have to do something with the gift and allow for the gift that God gives to come in us and do something to our heart. And it is that changing of our heart that leads to life change. Forgiveness can't just be a past event. It can't be some point in time where you said, I did that. It has to be a, pre a present, experienced reality. The re forgiveness that you have experienced, you need to daily experience it. We shouldn't live as the man in the prison who, yes, received it and walked away and didn't live as if it was a very present reality for him then. For us who are part of God's church, he makes a way through his church, through this gathering that we have together for us to regularly experience forgiveness and be reminded of the forgiveness we've received. Monthly, we take uh, the bread and the cup representing the body and blood of Christ. It is a way of us remembering the sacrifice that has been made and the debt that we that is outstanding on our behalf that has only been paid because of the death of Jesus. We are to regularly read our Bible and meditate on its truths, allowing it to again regularly change our hearts, our lives, our perspectives. We are to seek the Holy Spirit in prayer. And through those conversations we have with God, again, allowing him to cultivate and change the soil of our hearts. We are also supposed to have life-giving relationships with each other, where we regularly practice the exercise of confession, confessing our sins, seeking forgiveness on behalf of those that we have offended, and forgiving those who have offended us. That is to be a regular practice of our lives. See, it's the forgiveness that we have been given and that we have experienced that provides the platform for which we can then offer forgiveness. If you have not truly experienced forgiveness in your heart, you will never be able to truly offer it. That's where so many in our world are so lost and so broken. If you have not experienced forgiveness in your heart, you will never be able to truly offer it. Yeah, you can say words, but you can't offer it. And that brings us to the final part of how we forgive, and that is sharing forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says this, we are to be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Again, you cannot share forgiveness unless you have first received and experienced it. Yes, you can, you can share superficial forgiveness. You can maybe force yourself to say the words. 
But real forgiveness needs to go deeper than that. It must go deeper than simple words. It must transform and possess your heart. We are able to forgive not because we are better, church. That's not it. Going back to the beginning of this message, it's not because we're older or wiser and we should know better. It's not because you are now more mature and so you should be able to forgive. I'm going to be honest. Some of you have experienced such hurtful things you will never reach a maturity where on your own you will be able to forgive that. It is only because we have been forgiven of something greater that we have the ability to forgive any hurt. Maybe not to reconcile or to trust, but we can forgive. See, true forgiveness requires empathy. The ability to feel like what it's like being in the other person's shoes. I am only able to forgive because I have first been forgiven. Forgiveness is never deserved or earned. Forgiveness is a simple matter of obedience. We don't forgive because it will change the other person. We forgive because God requests it of us. And also because forgiveness changes and heals us. Forgiveness, again, is to release my right to hold offense against you. My personal vendetta to make things right and instead release that person, persons, and situations to God for him to do what is right. Like the man in this story, if we want to live like and follow the king, we have to act like the king. Just before we close our time here together, Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Before we finish our time together, I want us to spend some time in reflective prayer because I do believe that some of us have been holding on to, harboring unforgiveness in our hearts. And we need the healing of God. For some of you, it is shame that you have felt because even though you have maybe heard about forgiveness, in true lived, experienced reality, you have not experienced the healing power and forgiveness of God. The way you can tell the difference is if you are still living every day with the shame of that situation, that is symbolic of the enemy's stronghold on that lie that you are still bound and defined by it, versus the actual grace and forgiveness God offers. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. No longer are you needing to somehow repay that debt. You are free. So I'm going to ask three questions that I want us to think about honestly. A couple years ago, we, we did a series called Soul Care by Rob Reimer as a church. And he said this when it comes to forgiveness. If you do what God asks you to do, he will do what you cannot do. He will change your heart. He will actually allow you and empower you to be able to look at that person 
and not feel shame, not feel anger, not feel hurt, not feel resentment, but feel love. So three questions. We're just going to spend about two minutes going through these together. And I'm going to ask for us to prayerfully do this. So again, if you're new, you can pray and talk to God wherever you are, however you want. And oftentimes we encourage people to close your eyes when you pray. That's not because God needs your eyes closed for you to speak. It's because some of us are ADD like me and we need focus. But you do however you want. But I'd encourage you. It helps me to close my eyes when I'm really trying to focus and talk with God and hear from Him. Because it's not just us talking to Him, it's His Spirit talking to us. So three questions that I want us to prayerfully do. First question is this. Have you received forgiveness? Have you come to know the truth that God did so love whole world, and specifically you, that he gave his son to pay the debt for your sin. And he says, I offer this gift to you. You will no longer be defined by your failures or your weakness, but in exchange, I give you a new identity. You are a child of God, loved by me and called into eternity. This morning, you can receive that gift. Bible says simply by confessing with our mouth and believing with our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, have you experienced forgiveness? I feel strongly that there's a, there's a larger number of us today that this one is a need. Again, Some of us have been living with shame and not publicly. Our public face looks great. But in the secrecy of your private life, there are things in your secret life that you feel shame about. And you have tried to make up for it by doing right things. Maybe you try to donate your time or your money. You try to do good works and you've tried to make up for it. But there are parts of your life where you feel so defined and feel so shameful you do not actually know the all-covering 